This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. What does it take to be a great value investor? I'm talking about a Buffett, a Munger, or his lieutenants like Ted Wessler, Todd Combs. I still can't get over that Ted Wessler has been able to grow his IRA account to over $200 million in the 35 years up to 2018. And then since he won't tell us what it's done since 2018, heck, even if he just has it in an S&P 500 fund, which I doubt he does, I'm assuming he's basically almost doubled that. It was at 264 million at the end of 2018. So let's just say it's 500 million in his IRA after 35 years. And all of these gentlemen have been doing it as value investors. So what is their main secret? I've talked about it before on this podcast, but I felt like talking about it again because we really can't hear the stories too many times. It's a reminder if we're faltering a bit on our long-term objectives, which I know we all do, right? We all look at at some of our stocks, some that have not been performing all that well, maybe in the last six months, or we see some headlines on the financial news about inflation or the right, you know, the Fed's going to raise its rates or whatever else, you know, bond yields rising, all these things. And we think like, hey, maybe I should sell whatever stock it is. Maybe I should sell XYZ. Hey, maybe there's some rumors about, you know, some tech company I own. Maybe, maybe I need to get out of that. Or maybe I just need to get out of stocks altogether and move to the sidelines and wait and see, right? We all see these headlines and we all think about it. We all think about doing it and faltering on our long-term objectives. So that's really the secret to the greatest investors, right? To be a great investor, you basically have to have a strong stomach. You have to have the ability to block out all that noise, all those headlines, and to stay the course in a company that you know is performing well and not to listen to whatever the um, bigger stories are that are out there. So what it really comes down to is the strong stomach and time. Yeah, it's pretty simple to be a great value investor. So all of these gentlemen started investing early and all have been investing for decades. That's really their key, which I've talked about on other podcasts and which you can read more about in uh, Morgan Housel's The Psychology of Money. He talks about how Warren Buffett became a billionaire only in his 19 or only when he was in his 60s and now he's in his 90s. So he's even more of a billionaire now, but it took him all those years to reach the billionaire status. So he went from 1 billion to now, what is it, 120 billion in let's just say the last like 30 years. 30 some odd years. So the longer you do it, the more you're going to accumulate because of the power of compounding. But now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking all of these value investors who are great value investors are also great stock pickers. And we aren't, right? We're not great stock pickers like them. That's what makes them so great. But they also don't really give up on their favorite trades very often. So Buffett has famously owned some of his stocks for decades. And so you have to ask yourself, what's the longest you've owned a stock? 
how long have you been investing? These are the same similar questions. It may be that to, be, to become a great investor of any kind, not even just a value investor, but a great investor, you may only become one in your 401k. A lot of us put money in it every month and we don't really think about it. And for those of us who have been at the same employer for say 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years, you've suddenly been gifted with the secret of Warren Buffett and these other great investors. That's the secret of time. And you've been gifted it without even trying. So in August of 2021, Fidelity put out its quarterly update on all of its retirement accounts. So they managed 30 million of uh, 401ks and 403bs. Now all of the big fund companies also have accounts like Vanguard also releases this data, but I'm just gonna talk about Fidelity for now because this is the one I looked up. So they have 30 million of these accounts and they said that in the second quarter, as the stock market was booming in through the second quarter, so that's through June of 2021, the number of millionaires jumped to an all-time high of 412,000. Now, this is just in Fidelity's managed accounts. So they had 30 million and 412,000 of them now are over a million dollars. And that's up 84% from the year before. But remember the stock market through June of 2020 had crashed down in the coronavirus sell-off. It was on its way to rebounding, but hadn't really gotten there yet by June of last year. So it's not really surprising that these accounts, uh, the number of millionaires on these accounts is up so dramatically because the stock market has rallied even further during that one year time period and is also up dramatically. So Fidelity also said that those who had accounts continuously for 10 years also hit a new high in their balances. So you would have had, this is 2021, so you would have had to own it from 2011. And those accounts now with people putting in year after year after year had an average balance of $402,700. And that is a new high for a 10-year period. It helps that we're in this bull market, right? That <laughs> helps tremendously. And that's up from the 10-year period that people had. So in 2011, 10 years ago, the same uh, people who had been investing for the 10 prior years continuously only had $83,900 in there. But that was after a bear stock market during the first decade of this century. And we had the Great Recession stock market bust. So many stopped investing in stocks, certainly at the end of that decade, 2009, 2010. They went into bonds, they went into cash because they just couldn't take the losses anymore. They were too freaked out when they looked at their retirement uh, you know, savings. And so a lot of people just got out altogether. So they ended up with 83,000 by the end of that decade. But now here we are 10 years later and those average balances now are 402,000. So in 2021, a lot has changed from 2011. Stocks are now loved. And even with last year's pandemic sell-off, most people aren't fearful and they are buying into stock funds. Again, unlike 2011, 
when the fear was at its maximum, even though stock market was off its lows. But after 10 years of, you know, kind of nasty returns, nobody really wanted to be in stocks. So the S&P 500 ETF, I took a look at it, the SPY, and it was down 7.3% from January 2021 to January 2011. So during that whole time period, you if you had put money in in January 2001, you were actually down 7.3%. Now, hopefully in your 401k, you were just still putting in every month. So you were dollar cost averaging the ups and the downs during that period. The S&P 500 did hit new highs in 2007, remember, but had the huge sell-off in 2008, 2009, and still wasn't able to get back to those January 2001 highs by um, 2011. So pretty brutal, but let's compare to January 2011 to January 2021, which was the last 10-year time period. And the SPY was up 397% during that time period. Huge difference. Just you can see it in the balances and um, you can see it in the feeling, the bullish feeling that's out there. Now, Generation X investors may have had that 83,000 in 2011. And so for some of them, that's why that could be why they're at that million dollar level here in 2021. So they started off with 83,000 that kept compounding and maybe some of it compounded at the 397% level if they just bought the S&P 500 index in their 401k. And most 401ks, but not all, but most of them do offer that as an option. So that wouldn't have been too shabby. And that's why we have so many people with that $400,000 level after 10 years of continuous savings now because of these huge gains. So time, time, it allows you to ride out the bear markets and you can cash in on these bulls when we finally do go into one. And we all don't have to be the genius investors like Buffett or Weschler. So after that IRA info was leaked about Ted's account, the Washington Post's Alan Sloan actually talked to him. He sent him some email questions and was surprised that Mr. Weschler was willing to talk about how he got the $264 million in there. Because uh, other than his statement talking about it, we all did want to know, like, how did he do this? So... It, uh, essentially, his IRA stake grew from 300,000% from 1989 to 2018. That's the genius value investor right there, right? That almost none of us ever hope to, to be able to do. But he did agree to talk about how he did it to encourage young people to start investing early because he knows his key to all of that was time and starting young. So remember, he started investing in his 401k in his first job out of college, and that was in 1983. He worked at WR Grace. So he, he maxed out whatever the 401k max was, and he got the WR Grace match. So by 1989, his account was up to $70,384. So he put in $34,353 during those years. That's a lot especially in the 1980s. It's a lot even now, but in the 1980s, it was a lot for a 20-something. 
But WRGrace matched that at $12,328. So that was a nice match. And then the 1980s were a bull market. Other than the 19, um, late 1980s crash that we had that quickly recovered, actually, in the same year that it happened, those were bullish years and the start of the bull market, which, remember, began in 1982 and lasted through 2000. So through all of his years of investing, it was a bull stock market. So he took those original investments and the stock market had bid it up to 70384 So let me do my math. Uh, 30, 40, 46.66 is what he and W.R. Grace put in. So 46.6 turned into 73, 70.3. So not too bad in the 1980s. But then he was able to obviously... Um, you know, grow that 300,000% from 1989 to 2018 when he rolled, when he left Grace, he rolled it over into his own account. He had more investment choices. And we had the mega bull market of the 1990s with the tech boom and all of that. I'm sure he took advantage of a lot of that and, you know, was able to crush it quite a bit by that amount of time. So, but by the end of 2018, this was an interesting fact in this interview in the Washington Post that. Of his full amount, the $264 million, $58 million of it was his original W.R. Grace investment, which was $70,384 when he started. So it was 26% of his entire IRA in 2018 was that original W.R. Grace money. And how could that be? Basically, because it was his earliest money and it has been allowed the longest time period to compound. So, yeah, time matters. He did, however, keep putting money into the IRA, which we can all do. So he didn't just take the seventy million or the seventy thousand and grow it to two sixty four. He kept adding, but that later money came later. So it hasn't had as much time to compound. So that later money turned out to be just 42.8 million of the 264 million. And the WR Grace money again was 58 million because it has had longer to double, triple, quadruple. Um, if you believe in the rule of every set, you know, seven years with the 10% annualized, you'll double every seven years. So if he had an extra seven years, then that's why you can see the WR Grace money is just compounding at that bigger rate. Now, you don't have to be a genius investor, like I said. So the original WR Grace account was $70,535 in basically 1990, at the start of 1990. And that's a tremendous amount for 1990. So even in today's money, I'll take that, right? Wouldn't you take that just like, oh, here's some money, go invest it. But in 1990, that was a big chunk of money. But if you had invested it in the S&P 500, in the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, which we can all do as well, that's ticker VOO, then if you had just left it in there through the ups and the downs and the crashes and the dot-com bust and you know elections and wars and everything, recessions, the Great Recession, you would have had as of June 30th, 2021, 1.6 million dollars in that account 
And that was a couple months ago. And now stock market's at new highs again. So that is the power of compounding. And you don't even need to be a genius investor. You're not even picking a stock. You're just putting it in the S&P 500. That's not even the triple Qs or the small cap value or small caps in general. That's just the S&P 500, the big caps, and you're putting it in and you're not doing anything. So Ted Weschler's advice in the Washington Post interview is pretty straightforward. He says, and I quote, start early, maximize the match, invest 100% in equities, and ignore all the other noise, unquote. Now, most of us don't do the 100% in equities part, right? But Again, the most genius investors are invested only in equities. Look at Warren Buffett and his portfolio. He believes in stocks. He doesn't buy bonds. He doesn't buy Bitcoin. He doesn't even buy real estate. He, he's still living in the same house that he's always lived in. <laughs> so his thing is stocks. And stocks have been one of the best performing assets of the last 80 or 90 years. So Buffett believes they will continue to be the best performing asset. So buy, he believes in buying companies and their earnings. And that's worked out for him. And it worked out for Ted Wessler in his IRA, which I'm assuming was 100% in equities since that's the advice he's giving. Now, what are some of the uh, you know market indexes you could invest in? I know a lot of people think they're boring. But I own a couple of them in various of my accounts outside of my 401k. And I kind of just put some just regular money in them. And during a bull market like we have right now, they actually are some of my better my better performers because you don't have to guess about which stock is going to be hot, which industry is going to break out, um, you know, what what's going to happen with inflation or labor shortages, all of that stuff. You're just buying the entire like economy. And right now, again, they're in a bull market. So this has been an easy way to uh, do well in stocks. So again, the first one you can buy is the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, ticker VOO. I'm going to talk all about Vanguard funds right now because Vanguard has the low um, the low expense ratios. I know some of the others in like Schwab and others have matched some of these. So you might be able to get the same thing even slightly cheaper. So look around, but I like Vanguard. I own some of these. I own this one, the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, VOO is the ticker. I own that in my own fund. The expense ratio is 0.03% right now. So that's pretty cheap. But again, look around, do your homework, find the cheapest one. So Vanguard's total stock market, you can do that. I just saw in the news that Chairman Powell owns one of these funds and sold some last year in October of last year. So this is an easy way to own the entire stock market. It owns 4,025 stocks, all domestic U.S. stocks. And this one also has expense ratio of 0.03%. So the total stock market ETF is V as in Victor, T as in Tom, I as in Ian, VTI is that ticker. So that's an easy one too. You could also do buy like the caps, like a mid cap fund. There's the Vanguard mid cap ETF. Its expense ratio is 0.04%. Ticker is V as in Victor O, VO, just two, two uh, letters for the, that one, VO. The small cap ETF, 
That one has 1,500 stocks in it. It's ticker V as in Victor, B as in boy, VB. That's a little tongue twister there. V as in Victor or Vanguard, V as in Vanguard, B as in boy. And that one has a little bit higher expense ratio, 0.05%. I also own this one in my own personal portfolio. Um, some of the small cap ones are going to be interesting. I've talked about this in the past. They're going to be big in financials. And this one, it is the third largest sector in the VB. And um, it's 14.8%. So it's going to own a lot of the banks, especially the smaller banks in this case, since it's a small cap. And I'm, I, I'm liking the banks here. I've talked about this on a prior podcast here in 2021. I think the banks have entered finally into a new bull market, but we'll see if that if my theory is correct. And if we uh, have some rate increases, that's good for earnings for the banks. So the banks are one of the areas that will do well with, uh, you know, the Fed fund rate increases. And so that should help all these small cap uh, ETF funds which have you know underperformed the large cap over the last several years. So what else is in this one? Uh, I took a look and industrials, the largest area, I was kind of surprised by that at 18.4%. I'm okay with that on the recovery and the infrastructure bill. So I, I like those industrial companies. Then we had consumer discretionary, 15.8%. You had financials at 148 Healthcare at 13.5. I'm liking healthcare here too. Tech is still in the small cap fund, 13%. And then I took a look at energy just to kind of see where that was. And it's way down there at 4.4%. But there is some exposure to energy in there too. And then you could do the, the value side of any of these. You could do the value mid caps. There is the value small caps. I've talked about this one in the past. It's the Vanguard uh, small cap value ticker V is in Vanguard, B is in boy, R is in Robert, VBR is the ticker. And I used to own this in my uh, own portfolio, but surprisingly, I have sold it. I sold it after owning it more than 10 years. And I didn't sell it because, you know, I'm, I'm against small cap value. I basically sold it because I have too much small cap value in my various portfolios and I needed to diversify a bit. So I sold out of it in this one portfolio. It's the only place I own VBR. I own some other small cap um, ETFs that are not VBR, but are similar in, again, my other, you know, some various other portfolios. And so I didn't want to be that heavily weighted in the small cap area. So, but nothing wrong with it. Just I had too much weighting. It does have an expense ratio of 0.07%. And it has an annualized return now of 9.3% since January 2004. So that's not too shabby. And again, the small caps, uh, because of those banks, you know, possibly entering into another bull market, should really help boost some of these small cap funds, which have already started to rally and, and are doing better than they have the prior couple of years. So this turned out to be really a podcast about the indexes, because to be a great value investor, you just need to be in stocks. And really, you need to be time is on your side. 
And I'm not against individual stock investing by no means. And we'll have more shows on, you know, good individual value stocks. But for the purposes of this show, time is on your side. And the indexes aren't a bad way to uh, be in stocks for the long haul. They're a little bit easier psychologically, right? Um, as I mentioned earlier on in this episode. And just a reminder, it's never too late to start. Some of you might be listening to this already in your 50s or your 60s and thinking, eh, Tracy, it's too late for me. I, I'm not Ted. I'm not in my 20s and I can't do what he did or even get the 1.6 million like he did in the S&P 500. But remember my friend Ed that I talked about on a prior podcast. He was 60 when he took a $50,000 buyout from his company at the time. He was retiring and he just liked stock investing. So he decided to invest it in various stocks and now he's 91. He is still thankfully with us. And that account is now worth more than $5 million. So he had 31 years from age 60 to invest. He didn't know that at the time, but the longer he's kept it in there, the better he's doing, especially now we've entered into a bull market here after he was invested in the 1990s bull. He invested during the bust years. Remember, he bought some of uh, what Warren Buffett was buying in 2008, 2009, 2010. He bought Bank of America. Um, he stayed invested mostly all this time. He does have cash on hand from his dividends to reinvest when there's deals out there. So he's a good example of how it's never too late, but you do need the time. So the earlier you can invest, the better. So for those of you who are younger, time is on your side. You have all the advantage and you the, the best thing you can do is just start. And it doesn't take, you know, being a genius investor like some of them to do that. And it doesn't take being a genius to just buy the indexes um, and then branch out from there into individual stocks to get maybe even a better performance. So keep all those things in mind. Nothing wrong with these indexes during a bull market because they will be your friends then too. So let me recap what indexes I talked about. There was the Vanguard S&P 500, that's VOO, V as in Vanguard, OO. Then there was the total market index, that's over 4,000 stocks. So if you just want like the whole shebang, that one is V as in Vanguard, TI, VTI. Then we had the mid caps, those always kind of get lost and they haven't been as prominent the last couple of years. So maybe they're due for a, a big comeback too. Ticker V is in Vanguard O. Then we had the small caps, just the general small cap fund. That's V is in Vanguard, B is in boy, VB. And then we had small cap value, which historically has been the best performer. It hasn't been the last five or six years as the large cap growth stocks have been the big winners, but everything goes in cycles and maybe we're starting to see a turn of that with the return of the small cap banks. So that would be exciting for us value investors. Um, and that means, you know, more discussion of the banks here on the value investor, but that ticker is VBR. 
And just so you know, I currently own VOO and VB. I have owned VBR, but the Vanguard is cheap and it makes it easy to own these just general stock market indexes. So as always, you want to be following the Value Investor podcast so you get all of our podcasts because we're always needing inspiration, right? And we need some motivation to stay the course. So I'm going to be talking about stocks every week and you can get it on Amazon Music. You can get it on Spotify. You can get us on Apple Podcasts. And we're with the Market Edge two for one, two podcasts for one, all of all of them just Discussing stocks and ETFs. You can get us on both on SoundCloud, but be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.